Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, Uh, This is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's wind rows they have the men's wind rows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. We're taking a new turn on the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast this week as we're talking about elk hunting. I think it'll be relevant to you because we are not elk hunters, or we weren't before this trip. This is our first elk hunt. About three or four weeks ago, I decided that I'd take my son out of school, Bear Newcomb, and that we'd go to an over-the-counter unit in Colorado, take the mules, and go hunting. So we record this podcast on the way home from that incredible hunt. Also, already out right now, is a video about our hunt. It's called Elkpedition. It's a play on words for the word expedition. Because, buddy, when you're hauling stock across the country and you're going on a do-it-yourself hunt, it is an expedition. And so on the Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel, go check out this video. It's about six minutes long. It's a ton of fun. And you'll get to hear us talk about it. But in six minutes, you can see it, too. And you'll really have a great story, which is a lot of fun. We are starting right now to bait bears in Arkansas and Oklahoma. We've been baiting them for a few weeks, but one place in Arkansas, I mean, as we speak, I mean, my, my truck is idling in the parking lot of the Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters, and I am headed to bait bears in this one place for the first time where we pack in with mules into, uh, into a remote region that you can't access by truck. So we're going to pack in with mules. We've got the mules loaded. We're headed there right now. I want to draw your attention to a product that we're going to be using this very day, and that is Northwoods 
bear products. Hey, when you're starting a bear bait, it doesn't make any sense to not use this scent. It's incredible stuff. My favorite stuff is the Gold Rush, but they've also got powder scents. They've got big spray bottle scents. They've got all kind of scent attractants. I talked to a coon hunter today that was asking me about uh, using Gold Rush and uh, potential coon traps to draw coons to bait sites for starting young dogs. It would do an incredible job at that. So check out our friends at northwoodsbearproducts.net. You're going to enjoy this podcast and go check out our video, the Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel. Today is September the 11th, and we are on the road. We are recording right now in my truck. We're pulling our 1960s two-horse trailer that's been refurbished we've got two mules in the back one exceptionally flashy mule and one really nice black mule named ace flashy mules named izzy and i have a very special guest on the podcast today my son bear john newcomb that's not my middle name (laughs) introduce yourself bear my name is Bear. I'm 13, and I got out of school this week to go elk hunting in Colorado. Right on. So tell him your full name. Bear Josiah Newcomb. Bear Josiah. We've always called him Bear John. But, yeah, so we are we're on the tail end of a not just a hunting trip, but we've called it an elk, how do we call it? Elkspedition. Elkspedition. <laughs> this isn't just an elk hunt. This is an expedition. So we're trying to we're trying to call it an elkspedition. And so on this, we want to describe all that we've done. We want to tell some stories. We want to talk about the process that got us here. And we're just going to describe our hunt. Let me start by saying that I have never hunted elk in my life. Never in my life, and I've all I've been invited on elk hunts. I've known people that have gone, and I mean it's 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 such a iconic hunt that I knew that one day I would probably do it, but but I never have, and it, almost intentionally I've stayed away from it. I've I've kind of been a specialist in a lot of ways in my hunting, and I've focused on certain things. Never elk hunted this year, Bear John two things happened two things number one while we were spring bear hunting in montana this spring i found an elk shed out in montana and i brought it home and your mama loved that elk shed so much that she wanted me to put it as decor in our living room and she said that she would like an elk head in our living room which is pretty significant uh-huh. and uh, so that that was one thing the second thing that happened was I spent some time up in Bozeman Montana this summer for just a few days with uh, my friend Kevin Harlander from First Light and Joe Farinato from Meat Eater and I spent just a, an evening with those guys and they were talking about elk hunting and uh, they both invited me to go elk hunting with them next year basically you know, they are, everybody's plans were already made for this year. And so I spoiled their plans of getting to, you know, of, of getting to take me on my first elk hunt because we just said, man, you know what? We're just going to load up the mules. We're going to drive to an over-the-counter area of Colorado, and we're going to hunt elk ourselves. You know, how hard can it be, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I've been saying that to everybody. How hard can it be? How hard can it be? And, and obviously it's a joke because elk hunting is extremely difficult. Non-resident success rates in Colorado are at about 10%. And, and we just decided that to do this about four weeks ago. So, yeah. you know, honestly, most people plan elk hunts like a year in advance. And man, about the 10th of August, I was like, man, we need to go elk hunting. And so I talked to yo mama 
And I said, what do you think about me taking Bear out of school for a week and us going elk hunting? And, uh, and she was all for it. And you're going to do a presentation at your school about what you've done. That's one of the prerequisites for them getting an excused absence is they got to come back and tell what kind of activity they did. And so Bear's going to do that. But there's actually a third reason that we went elk hunting this year is because in the spring was the first time that I trailered my mules long distance to hunt the West by myself. I had, I had hunted the West for bear uh, with Jim Sessions once with his mules and horses and learned a ton from him about backcountry equine hunting. Well, in the spring, me and Colby Moorhead went and, and did it ourselves, and we learned... We just learned a ton. It's extremely complicated to haul mules across the country. I mean, there's just a lot of things you got to plan for. And aside from that, we were we we learned how to we learned a good system for camping and hunting off these mules, not using any pack horses or pack mules. A lot of guys bear when they hunt the west, they'll ride one animal and they'll use one animal as a pack animal. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to stay lean and mean, as they say. And so we pretty much have an ultralight gear set up. And we're applying that to our mules. Because even though mules and equine animals are super strong and can carry a ton of weight, when you're putting a rider on them and trying to pack all your gear, you know, they can get overloaded pretty quick. It's They're not invincible, you know. And so I've we learned a lot so it was like yeah we can we can go to Colorado heck Colorado's closer than Montana Montana was a 24 hour drive for us Colorado was about a 14 hour drive I got some intel from a good friend of mine he won't mind me saying his name Jace Boserman Jace gave me some intel on a region that he thought would be good for finding some elk so we did have that outside input because that was my first question and probably the limiting factor and hardest part of this hunt bear was just where do you go? Mm-hmm. And if you go there, are you going to find elk? And so Jace was like, hey, if you go here, he said, and you put in your time and get back in there. You know, he gave me a lot of great pointers. He was like, you'll find some elk. So the objective of this hunt, though, Knowing that we were up against like some pretty serious odds of not not killing an elk, really, we were just trying to get our feet wet, right, Bear? Yep. Um, I wanted Bear to have in his repertoire of experiences as a young man. I wanted him to be able to say, "Yeah, we took our mules and we went elk hunting," and I knew that after, and we we ended up hunting about five days. Okay. So it wasn't as long as some hunts, but we hunted for five days. And I knew that after five days in the backcountry that riding mules, that bear, number one, would become a really qualified equine mule man. There's a ton of stuff that goes on about handling animals in the backcountry, and you can't mess up. You know, even down to, like, how do you tie up your mules at night? How do you let them feed and graze during the day? Because if you lose your mules when you're 12 miles back in, and they will absolutely run away from you if you let them, then you're in big trouble. And so, you know, I taught Bear about that. We, we, we in, in a five-day span, rode 40 miles on these mules. Isn't that what we figured, Bear? Yeah, about maybe more. Maybe more. And so I knew that after that much time in the saddle in that kind of difficult country, that Bear would be a mule man. I mean, I just knew it if he survived. Did you survive? Sure did. <laughs> so there was a lot of objectives. Really, my only, my only goal, which obviously I wanted to kill an elk, but I, I, deep down I almost knew that that was an unrealistic just absolute goal. Like, I wasn't going to say the success of the trip rests upon whether we bring home elk meat or not. I, I never said that, even though I've always got the end goal in mind in everything that I do. But success was going to be us being safe, 
hunting hard, camping well, handling the mules well, and us finding elk and having a good hunt and giving them heck, okay? Giving the elk heck. Do you think we gave the elk heck, Bear? Yes. <laughs> hey, why don't you describe the first day of the hunt and where we went? You don't name any names now, but like where, like what we did. And why don't you describe a little bit of that? Like, so we'll start with day one. So day one, we arrive in Colorado. What do we do? We went and we got the over-the-counter elk tag. And we went to a trailhead. I don't... Well, yeah, we don't want to say the name of the trailhead. Yeah. And then we rode 10 miles up the trail. And then we camped in a spot. And we hunted a little bit that afternoon. We mostly just glassed and called a little bit. And then the next day, well... Yeah. So we, we went in 10 miles on the first day. And we had in mind a lake that we were trying to get to. And we had no idea really what this country looked like. I mean, you can see it on your Onyx maps, which we used. But honestly, I had no idea what it was going to look like once we got up there. We got 10 miles back in, and uh, and it started to rain. Um, I, I, and I learned a few things on that first night, Bear. I learned a few things about, you know, Jim Sessions. He... Jim, let, let me tell you something about Jim Sessions, okay? Jim Sessions at Huskamaw. Jim's a veteran Western hunter. Jim Sessions packs in on mules and horses 30 miles into the Wyoming backcountry to elk hunt, to sheep hunt. And they're going in places that there are not trails. And he doesn't even bring as much as a GPS. I mean... He navigates that country just like the old-timers did before there were GPSs. I think he probably uses some paper maps. But Jim, you ask him what, a G, you know, what kind of GPS you running? He said, I never heard of her. That's funny, Bear. <laughs> never heard of her. I mean, so, but Jim, uh, Jim t- tells me, and when he says it, you know, it's like it sinks in. As he says, he said, Clay, when you're 30 miles back in, and he, he doesn't even carry an inReach, so there's no communication. His only communication, if something went wrong back there, would just be to have somebody ride out and tell somebody once they got in cell phone range. And he said, when you're that far back in, he said, you really begin to have to watch yourself. You have to pay attention to every single thing that you do, because if you make a mistake, and if you get hurt, or if you lose an animal, or if, you know, your, your, your pack animal runs off and he's got your supplies on his back and you can't catch him, or he runs back to the truck, or you get thrown off and break a leg, or whatever, you cut yourself with a broadhead and you start, you know, in, in a bad spot. You know, he said you're, you're basically two to three days away from help. Think uh-huh. about that. Because it's taking you a day and a half to get back in there. And so if you get hurt, it's a day and a half out for somebody to tell, you know, to recruit help. And it's a day and a half ride back in. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I was thinking about that, Bear, while we were back in there. Well, the first night we were 10 miles, and the next day we went another three. So at one point we were 13 miles in the backcountry. And <laughs> Bear... Were you, did that make you nervous at all? Not really. Okay, we talked about this earlier, and I yeah. I, I told him, I said, I was nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think when you're that far back in, you you really have to have the fear of God in you. And, uh, and I made a few mistakes. It was the first day of the hunt. Number one, I forgot my pistol in the truck. That wasn't a big deal. We weren't in grizzly country. I did not even have bear spray. So, um, you know, if we were in grizzly country, I probably would have turned around and we would have come out of there if I didn't have any kind of bear protection. Mm -hmm. But there's no grizzlies in Colorado. So 
that was mistake number one. Mistake number two, Bear, if you remember, um, about five miles in, I turn around and look at my backpack, and what did I do? You dropped your arrows. I, I was carrying my arrows in my uh, Kefaru Shape Charge backpack, and I didn't have them strapped in there right. I just thought they would ride okay the way I had them. And I turn around, and I don't have any arrows. I'm carrying my bow in a custom bow holder that hangs off the side of the saddle. Protects the bow really well. Really like the setup. And I turn around, and I don't have any arrows. And so we turn around and start heading back down the trail. And I'm hoping that they didn't fall off, you know, three miles back in. We backtrack a mile and pick and finally find the arrows. That was mistake number two. Mm-hmm. But think about if we had got all the way to the top, 10 miles in, and I realized I didn't have any arrows. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, little mistakes cost you big. If you were 300 yards from the truck, it wouldn't have made any difference. You just walk back and get them. Mm-hmm. Number three, what was the third mistake that I made? Um, you broke the tent. I broke. So we... Uh, we were using the First Light Nemo collaboration tent called a Recurve, which is an incredible little tent, super lightweight, ultra mm-hmm. lightweight. I think it weighs less than, I bet, I bet it weighs just a little bit over a pound, maybe a pound and a half, two pounds. Tiny tent, mm-hmm. I mean, light tent. It's a two-man tent. So all the components are ultra light. And so a couple of the rods on the tent are fiberglass. And uh, small fiberglass, like as big around as like a matchstick almost, you know. Mm-hmm. And I stepped on one of them while we were up there, didn't I? Yep. First night. Broke it. Snapped it in half. It wasn't that big of a deal. We were able to carve a stick out that took the place of that tent pole. But it was a mistake. You know, if we had been back there for a week and that was our only tent and there came a big windstorm or something... I mean, that would have been the weak point of the tent. What was the other mistake that I made back there? The bow sights? Man, we had a lot of mistakes. Yeah, so this new saddle, or this new uh, this new bow case that I was using, I had never used it before, and I was using a compound bow. And we got all the way to the top, and my sights were loose on that bow. And we were able to get it back together and was confident in its shooting ability. But at the time, there was we were in a pretty bad fix. So we were able to navigate through that, but I was able to resituate the bow case so that there wasn't any pressure on those sights any longer. But that was a weak point in my system. Okay? And I, I don't have any trouble talking about the things that we learned about bear because you know that strength is actually found inside of humility you know i mean it'd be awesome to come out of this and say we did everything right but we didn't and uh and but you know this that a a wise man learns from his mistakes and he'll be wiser yet on the other side of it Mm -hmm. so we learn from that and then fifth thing this all happened on like the first day you remember what the other one was no i burned uh, a hole in my air mattress so we we brought an air mattress and this was a minor thing but if we'd been on a seven day hunt it would have ended up being sort of significant so i have this little cabela's blow up air mattress and uh the first night I pull it out and we had a little fire going. It was pretty moist. We were able to make a fire up. We're at about 11,000 feet, I think. We made a fire just outside of the tent and I fl- flopped this uh, air mattress out to blow it up and the tail of it drags through a couple of embers and puts a hole in the stinking air mattress. Didn't it? Yep. It wouldn't hold air. So... Hey, those were the mistakes that we made on the very first day. And it kind of put us on our A game after that. And uh, th- aside from all those things, these things were pretty minor. 
we were able to navigate through them all. But the rest of the trip, we were very conscious about everything that we did. We talked about it. We talked about being being aware. So that was day one and day two. Day two, we left from our camp at 11,000 feet and went up to over 12,000 feet, which was way above the tree line. And is it was in some of the most incredible country that a human has ever laid eyes on. Would you agree, Bear? Yep. Tell me about it. Describe it to me. Um, well, we got to the top, and we kind of came over this little peak, and we looked down, and there's this big blue lake that had, like, fish in it. Like, you could see them eating bugs off the top of the water, and it they were just, like, it was sort of like a prairie, but it was, like, really high up because there were no trees. And then if you looked the other way, there was, like, this really big view of all the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. I I said that it would have shamed Rocky Mountain National Park, <laughs> which we've been to, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a beautiful park. But, I mean, this was some incredible country. Mm-hmm. And by now, we're 13 miles from the truck. And our tent's broke. We don't have a pistol. You know, we've 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 made a few blunders and we could have stayed back in there and hunted if we'd have found elk but we went back in there and looked around looked around looked around looked around and found no sign of elk Mm -hmm. didn't we and so after an assessment and, and, and honestly bear i wasn't sure that i wanted to kill an elk in back that far even with mules Mm-hmm. Because, truth be known, our mules are untested when it comes to elk. Now, we know that Izzy will carry out meat, and uh, she seems to do fine with that. Ace is untested. Ace is 16 years old, this other mule that we got, but we didn't really know what he would do with an elk. And so, you know, we get a 800-pound bull elk on the ground 12 miles back in, and, and what if we have problems even getting it on the mule? Mm-hmm. I, these were things that I was thinking about. So, after not finding any elk sign, we say, what do we say? We said, let's get out of here. Yeah. Didn't we? Yeah, we just said, let's, let's try something else. We didn't find elk. We didn't find any fresh elk sign in the 13 miles in. Never, never heard a bugle. Never heard anything. Anyway, we come out of there, and uh, we, we see an outfitter's camp off the trail. And we go down, and we talk to the outfitter. Real nice guy. Uh, he had two clients from Texas there with him, and uh, we gave him our report. We told him everything that we knew. We told him that we'd been all the way back in there, 13 miles. We didn't see any elk sign. We told him we were rookie elk hunters, so not to take what we said too serious, but uh, we did not see any fresh elk sign. We talked to him a little bit, and he gave us some good intel about the region. He said that there's pockets of these mountains in these mountains that hold elk. Do you remember him saying that, Bear? Yes. Because that was a big question to me inside elk hunting. Is, is you step into the Colorado wilderness and, you know, are the elk everywhere? I mean, are there elk on that ridge and on that ridge and it's just a matter of getting back in there and getting close enough to them and calling to them? Or is that ridge and that mountain and that slope right there totally void of elk? I mean, is it like fishing where you know, 10% of the ground holds 90% of the fish. You know, that's what they say in fishing is 10% of the water holds 90% of the fish. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So I, I honestly didn't know those answers. And so I talked to this elk, this elk guy, and uh, he was a good guy. We talked about mules. He was a mule man. He critiqued uh, the shoe and the front shoes on my mule. And uh, anyway, I told him about Izzy being four-year-old, and he liked her. He's riding a four-year-old mule, too. And uh, so that was pretty cool, talking to that guy. Well, we come out of there. So by day two, we have we had ridden 26 miles. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, because we went 13 miles in and 13 miles out. Yeah. Were you sore? Yes, definitely. Were you really sore? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have known it. You never complained. Well, so we end up back at the truck about mid-afternoon on the second day. 
and we had another area that we were going to go try out. And so because the, the, the day was kind of shot uh, and we needed a few things, we ended up going back into town and we actually ate dinner in town. Mm-hmm. And then we went back and slept in the truck on the night of day two. We slept in the truck, okay? I slept in a hammock. You slept most of the night in a hammock. Most of the night. Which, well, we'll have to tell them about the bears at some point, okay? But bear, I, I, we had bears sleeping outside in a hammock uh, right by the truck. I was sleeping in the truck. Well, the next day we pack back into another section of ground that, you know, we'd never been to. Uh, we didn't really even have in mind exactly where we wanted to go in here. I guess I did have in mind one little region, but I'm still trying to figure out, like, why are the elk using certain parts of the landscape? And thirdly, there were elk hunters behind every spruce tree. Am I correct, Bear? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was crazy. I mean, this is an over-the-counter region of Colorado, so, I mean, what can you expect? But, uh, I mean, it was almost like a circus, and there were just people camped out just waiting to get in. And uh, that was, I wouldn't say it was disheartening, but, but it was just a real thing is that there were hunters everywhere, and uh, we just had to deal with that. But we were, we did feel like that we were able to get back in there further than a lot of these guys that were on foot, which ended up being true. Well, at... On day, let's see, the morning of day three, we set out, and we're riding. And we get back in about three and a half to four miles from the trailhead, and we come start coming through these big meadows at about 9,800 feet, okay? Big meadows. And we look on Onyx, and sure enough, there's some bigger meadows that are up above us, that are way off the trail that you couldn't see from the trail. And what do we do, Bear? We go to the meadows. Yes. We said, let's go to the meadows, right? Yes. So we start riding up, and it's pretty steep. And we get about a half mile off the trail, and we have yet to see any fresh elk sign at all. And so we're just still just trying to find out. We get to the, we start going up this steep section, and I see what I believe is a fairly fresh pile of elk droppings. And I go, hey, look right there. I think that's elk droppings. Well, we keep riding. We go about another 100 yards up the mountain, and I see two fresh elk rubs on a tree. And that is all I needed to see. I said, bear, look right there. They're elk rubs. I said, those are fresh. We've seen a fresh pile of droppings and elk rubs. I said, we are in the elk officially. And what do we do? We take the mules out of that part and we go and we set up camp. Well, okay, what we did was we didn't, we didn't want to bust them right yeah we didn't want to just ride the mules right up into this area we were having elk sign Uh so we were like hey let's back out of here and go back in on foot and see what we can see right so we back the mules off the mountain we tether them up and then me and you at about 11 o'clock head up the mountain and we start finding more and more elk sign every step would Uh you agree Yes. What what kind of sign did we see? Uh, we saw really beat down elk trails. We saw lots of elk droppings, rubs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we yeah. were seeing, like, smoking hot elk scat. I mean, stuff that was, like, made that day. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, that we were in the elk. Yeah. And so... The, the wind was right. We knew we didn't need to pressure this spot. We stayed in there for about an hour, and we actually did a little bit of calling right at noon, didn't do anything aggressive, didn't even make a bugle. All we did was some cow calls. And uh, 
about noon, we knew that we weren't probably going to just sit in there all day. We didn't think it'd be that productive. So we backed off the mountain and we went down to where the mules were, which is about a quarter mile away down the mountain. And we, we set up our camp. And then at about 3.30, 4 o'clock, we went back up the mountain to where we found the elk. Am I right? Am yes. I right or am I right? You're right. Okay. And I'm going to let you take it from here about what happened. Walk us through what we did. Okay. And try to be as dramatic as possible. All right. Um, so we got up there and we saw this little knob that was right next to the, a pretty big meadow. And it was right, it was right above where we're seeing all the elk sign. So we decided to go up to the top of that and we were going to just cow call a little bit and see what we could see what would happen. And so we were testing the wind the whole time. Yeah. Wind was great. It was blowing back the way we came from and then so we got up there to this little clear spot and we started cow calling and we heard uh something probably a hundred yards away like a limb crack or like somebody something stepped on a stick and it broke yeah and so we set the camera up both of us looked at each other like, did you hear that? Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we heard that. And so we set up the camera, and then we heard it coming in, and even closer. And we, heard, we, we heard it again. Yeah. And then we saw it, and it was, it was a bull elk. It wasn't like a giant one, but it was... We think it might have been legal. We couldn't tell. It was at least a three by three, and we thought that we saw a fourth one, but we also realized that there was another one behind it, and so we didn't want to. So we passed up the shot on that one because we didn't want to shoot a little one and then see a big one come in. Well, so we we see. You know, we hear a pop, which wasn't unusual, but we were like, huh, I think that, you know, it's possible that that was an elk. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we see an elk out there at 50 yards, I mean, just coming right towards us. Yeah. And I see it's a bull. I immediately go to trying to count tines, which is very difficult in thick brush, I've learned, especially with a marginal animal. And in Colorado, bull's got to have four points on one side or have a nine-inch brow tine. And, I mean, this thing is coming in hard. And I, I see at least three on one I see for sure three on one side. And on his right side, which is closest to us, I believe that I see four points. But it wasn't, I, I wasn't certain. And, you know, you just have to be certain. You know, you, you never pull the trigger on anything unless you're 100% certain. And so... I come to full draw when they're out there at 40 yards, and I mean, I'm, I am ready, and there's a big opening about probably 15 yards in front of me that this elk is just coming right through. And uh, when he, he, he comes through that opening, and I still have not been able to decide if, uh, if, he is, if he's a legal bull or not, well... He he comes through the opening, and I think I see a four. I mean, I we got to look at the video because we did video it. But I'm conf. I mean, I was pretty confident that it had a fourth point, but I needed to confirm. And the bull comes in to like eight yards downwind of us, but in thick thick brush. And the bull there were two bulls, and the one behind it was for sure hundred percent a three by three, and so he was not legal. Mm-hmm. But this one that I think is legal is at eight yards in the brush, and I'm at full draw. And he stops as soon as he gets downwind. And, I, you know, we're just at a stalemate. He's looking at us. He's winding us. Mm-hmm. And I know that this thing is about to explode. I mean, I was hoping he would turn and walk out the way that he came. He did not do that. He 
busted out of there, you know, after probably 10, 15 seconds of us just staring down each other. He busts out of there, and the deal's done. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if it had been a, a bull that I knew was um, a legal bull, I could have killed him when he walked through that opening. But that opening was the first chance that I had to see his rack. And uh, I just needed to get a better look. So anyway, here we are. We've found these elk. We've slipped in on them. We made a few cow calls, and we have stinking called in two bull elk. And, I mean, we were pumped. Were we not? Yeah. Day three, and we just had, we were at full draw. I mean, we were in the, we were in the chips. We were in the game. Am I right? Yeah. So... That was super exciting. And not to belabor the hunt, but we stayed on those elk for another two days and pretty much never got on any elk again. Yeah. That was pretty disheartening. We, uh, right after we called those bulls in, we ended up moving a little bit further down the ridge and we bumped a cow. And, you know, who knows if we bumped more than that that we didn't know about. But basically, I feel like that one encounter was our one chance at those elk. And we hunted in there for the next two days, never heard a bugle, never never heard anything, never saw another elk. I mean, it was done. And uh, we didn't have a long time to hunt. Bear was out of school. Uh we kind of ran out of supplies. We, we, we ended up uh, eating a little bit more food than I had planned. And uh, we ended up coming out of there on, on day five. And uh, we covered a lot of ground on two days. One day we walked four and a half miles. The next day we walked about five miles. We bugled. We cow called. We found some more areas with some pretty fresh sign. But never, ever got on elk again did we nope um but we basically we we felt like that the trip had been a success though and we were happy when we came out of there on the evening of day five because we'd accomplished our goal which our goal was just to get our feet wet inside the elk hunting world we i knew that the biggest hurdle would be finding elk I didn't feel like calling would be that big of a deal, Bear, because, you know, I blew my first elk call three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, and I'm a, I'm a proficient diaphragm turkey caller and have been since I was a kid, and so blowing on an elk call is not much different than blowing on a turkey call. Yeah. And so I feel like we were decent enough callers that that was not a limiting factor at all inside the hunt. And I felt like we were prepared for how to manage these elk because it's so much like turkey hunting. I mean, we we were in the backcountry for five days and never heard a single bugle. Mm-hmm. Never heard a single bugle. And so I knew that it wasn't going to do us much good to be bugling. Just like in turkey hunting, if the turkeys aren't gobbling and not calling very much and not responding to calls, you know. You, you don't call much. You do what the turkeys are doing. And so, you know, we were trying to do what the elk were doing, which wasn't much. But we were, we were primarily using uh, elk calls, I mean, cow calls. And uh, even though the, the further we got into the hunt, the more and more aggressive that we got, because we were just like, man, we got we to gotta crack a bugle out of an elk so we can find them. And uh, so we started bugling more and more as the days progressed we started out very conservative and then got more liberal and after five days we never heard an elk bugle so i have still after five days of hunting i've never in my life heard an elk bugle but i almost killed an elk (laughs) pretty wild huh yeah so well bear what would you say what was the most exciting part of the hunt for you Probably whenever we called in the bulls, because I've never seen a bull elk that close. I've seen, like, some, but they were just, like, in a 
national park from a distance. Yeah. But that was pretty cool, especially because we were hunting them. Yeah. It, it's different, isn't it? I mean, yeah. just to see an elk in, a, in Yellowstone, you know, I mean, that's a cool experience. But to see an elk when you're carrying a bow, wanting to pack one out on a mule, uh-huh. that's exciting stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Barrett, what? Okay, so what? What would you say the challenges of the hunt were? Um, probably finding the elk and then walking so far. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, up and down, and and we were a different time. You know, between ten and twelve thousand feet, which compromises your your respiratory system. Mm-hmm. As especially being from the lowlands of Arkansas, well, the Arkansas highlands, but not high enough. Bear, okay, wild experiences. What was okay? So you rode over the course of those five days. We rode about forty miles on the mule. Mm-hmm. I knew that you were either going to come out of it strong or you're going to come out of it broken. <laughs> I believe that you came out strong. Were there any hairy moments? Riding the mule. Um. Well, with Ace, there wasn't a whole lot. Like every now and then, there'd be like a steep part, and you would try to get off the trail and turn around and go back to the truck. And like there was one part where it was just like I had no idea that you could even get in that position. Right. He just somehow got in it, and then I don't know if he was going to be able to get off. Right. He he kind of took a wrong turn and jumped up on a super steep bank and kind of got yeah. kind of got bewildered a little bit. Yeah. And what do I tell you when when stuff like that happens? What did I always say to you? Just hang on. Just ride it like a cowboy. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is you can't get scared. That mule is going to take care of himself. And that's why we ride mules. Mm-hmm. You know, a horse might have killed himself and flipped off the side of the mountain. A mule is not going to do that. As long as you stay on that mule, you are going to be safe. That's what I tell you. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, just ride him. Just ride him, son. Just push your feet down in the stirrups and lean back. Don't lean forward. Keep mm-hmm. your heels down Yeah. and cowboy up, right? Yeah. And there's also <laughs> another time where we were going to get the mule some water down by the creek. And there was, like, this really steep rock. And Ace got up the rock pretty good. But then Izzy was uh, on the side, and her feet kind of started slipping. And then she, like, just jumped off the rock with you on her and went, like, right under this tree with a bunch of branches. And (laughs) it almost took you off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was... Man, we were just having just a normal day, normal ride in this big, wide-open country. wasn't that big of a deal. And we came to a slick rock. And so our our mules are shod on the front. Shod means that they have shoes on the front, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, Ace struggled a little bit getting up this slick rock, but it wasn't that big of a deal. So I just took Izzy, actually took Izzy a different way. And she gets up on the side of this slick rock. And just starts sliding. She starts losing her feet. And so she's scrambling on the rock. And she finally slides off the rock, which, you know, it's probably six or eight feet down into a creek. And she she slides. But then down in this creek is like thick. It wasn't alders, but some kind of thick bramble, you know, with branches about as big as your wrist. And, I mean, she just, she kind of doesn't have anywhere to go except right into that stuff. And so, I mean, just all of a sudden, things turn south quick. And uh, so she, to keep from falling over, jumps into those bushes. And uh, at that point, I'm like, I'm probably going to end up on the ground. That's what I felt <laughs> like. And But I just leaned back. I mean, it probably looked like man from snowy river stuff have you you've seen that movie right yeah you remember when he rides that that horse down the mountain mm-hmm. and all those other guys are looking at him that was an awesome scene i just kind of leaned back and rode her out and uh man i came out on top of the saddle and we just i took her right back up the same way and there we came yep man 
I that's part of the reason I I don't know. I love riding mules and equine animals. It just uh there's some excitement in it and uh things can go bad quick, but it also I think makes you stronger, it makes you more aware. Um it uh you, you really do have to overcome fear. Riding an equine animal is, is a craft. It's not just uh it's not like riding a four wheeler. You know, I mean, even it takes some skill to do that, but you learn to become a good rider. You learn to stay on. You learn how to handle situations. You learn to trust that animal. And I knew that Izzy wasn't going to flip over. I knew that. I knew if I could just stay on her, I'd be okay. I I knew that those limbs might rake my hat off and my glasses or, you know, tear my clothes or something. I didn't know. But it's like, if I I just got to stay on her. But anyway, we had a few exciting moments like that. Uh Uh-huh. Crossed a lot of creeks, um, uh, went through some thick stuff, went through some very steep stuff, some very rugged, uh, rocky stuff. But overall, great experience. Here's the things that I learned, Bear, and this is what I want to do next time. I, I'm going to start putting in for draw hunts, probably in Colorado, maybe some other places. But I would rather, we got to get away from the people. And I think that you do that through going on a draw hunt. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was an over the counter unit. Number two, we got to go later in the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, hunting turkeys is no fun if the turkeys aren't gobbling. Yeah. You know, a good turkey hunter can still kill them, but it's just no fun. I mean, you don't, you go turkey hunting to hear, hear a turkey gobble mm-hmm. and to work him. Okay. I, I'm a new elk hunter, but you go elk hunting to hear them bugle and to work them. And it's just no fun when you don't know where they're at. They're not responding to calls. Mm-hmm. They're not bugling. So we need to go later in the season when they're bugling. Um, th- those are the two main things. I, I want to go later, and I want to get away from the people. And mm-hmm. uh, But that being said, I felt like it was a massive success in that we, we learned about our gear. We enjoyed the the new first light gear that we had. We were, we were totally decked out in first light stuff. Uh, you know, we used the Nemo first light tent. I used the Nemo sleeping bag. I was using the 30-degree bag called the Scout. Uh, really like that sleeping bag. Ultra lightweight, warm, a lot of neat features. Um, I wore the Sawbuck pants for, I believe I've had these pants on for six days. Have you? Would you agree, Bear? Yeah. I put these on in the parking lot on the first day, and I'm still wearing them. <laughs> I put them on last... Uh, Let's see, what, Thursday? Last Friday. Mm-hmm. And today is, well, today is Tuesday. I don't know. I've been wearing them for a while. And uh, I used uh, the Klamath. I basically wore the Sawbuck pants, a wick undershirt, long sleeve, and a Klamath hoodie almost the entire time. And uh, everything worked great. I was wearing, uh, I actually borrowed Colby's Kenetrek boots, which he had a really nice pair of Kenetrex that he said I could try out. and We wear the same size shoe, so that's what I wore. And uh, Bear was wearing uh, First Light gear, too. Yeah. I liked it. Still wearing it. So, anyway, man, anything we hadn't covered, Bear, that you'd like to say? Mm, not really. Nothing. You got nothing at all for me. Sorry. <laughs> well, um, man, I wanted Bear to have in his repertoire of, of memories and know-how, um, you know, a Western backcountry hunt, and he's got that now. And you want to go back, though, right? Yes. And what do you want to do when you go back? Um, kill a dog. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> but do you remember what, what I'm, I'm prying, I'm prying, banjo, think banjo. Oh, Next year when we go back, I want to take Banjo with us. Tell them who Banjo is. Banjo is my mule that I'm training right now, and yeah, he's not. You can't. We can't ride him yet. But he's about a year old. Yeah, he's getting there. He's getting there. So it's Izzy's full blood brother. Is that right? Yeah. I'd say he's pretty flashy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, so that is our that was our elk hunt. We're going to be producing a video 
that'll be on the Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube channel at some point. I don't know if it'll come out before this or after this podcast, but uh, what an incredible adventure and expedition, and what other place in the stinking world can a man just load up his animals or just jump in a truck and drive buy an over-the-counter tag, no need to get permission from the king, and go into true wilderness and backcountry that he owns, that he has every right to be there as much as anybody else, and go in there and hunt a majestic beast like an elk. My, oh, my. Bring home his flesh. Feed your family for a year. Put his horns above your fireplace as a memory activator for decades and generations to come. What other place can you do that but right here where we live? And I I think that's the biggest thing that stood out to me is that the access that we have to adventure as hunters is incredible, incredible. And there's something inside of the adventure and the danger and the drama and the craft and the skill of being able to come out here and execute this that that makes you something different that so many humans on the planet don't have access to. But we are tapping into something that is ancient and inside of our DNA from the very beginning. You know, we were we were warriors and hunters and gatherers and tamers of horses long before we were office clerks, long before we were insurance men, long before we lived sedentary lives. We were this thing, and hunters are still that today. And I feel like that there's a, there is a spiritual component to it. There is a natural physical challenge component to it. There's a mental strength component to it. There's a component of coming up against real fear and overcoming it. There's a component of the complexities of the planning that exercise muscles that are rarely exercised in modern life when the things that you do actually affect your ability to survive. You know, I mean, when you wake up and you live in a house and, you know, you forget something, you just go to the store and buy it. When you're in the back country and you forget something, there are real consequences. And I think that that makes us more aware, more conscious. It makes us kind of into a different kind of human. And... Uh, there's a spiritual component as well. The, the, script, the Bible says that the, the, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, firmament being the earth. And man, we looked at such incredible scenery. A man would have to be a fool to not think that this was created by design on purpose, the, the intricacies of the ecosystem. Bear, one night when we were sitting over a waterhole, he said that he saw four different kinds of rodents within about 30 feet of him. And we talked about the intricacies of the ecosystem and how those, all those little critters play a very vital role from the kind of seeds they gather and store all the way back to the animals that prey on those rodents. And we just talked about the, the intricacies of the, of, of the natural systems and the brilliance and majesty of it didn't we yeah and I I think that something really does come alive inside of a person and 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 it's in my mind it's got to be connected back to a creator for it really to have effect inside your life because you know you can be a hunter and and have no you know just just going into backcountry doesn't change you to me when you go into backcountry and then you connect to the thing behind the thing that's when you really begin to, that's when you begin to see and understand. And uh, anyway, incredible time. And it's, it's fun to be able to, to spend this time with your son. And uh, Bear John, this is just the beginning. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I have like a little thing in my throat. <laughs> Hey, what do we say when we close the podcast every week? You, okay, I, now I'm going to give you one shot at this, but you got to say it with enthusiasm. You can't just you can't just say it. You got to say it. Ready, go. Keep the wild places wild. Because that's where the bears live, and the elk. 
Oh, we gotta tell them about the bear. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. False start. When we get back to the truck, the mule feed is scattered all over the back of our truck. And we have no idea what's going on until further inspection reveals bear tracks all, I mean, all over the back window. They were on the top of my truck. They, they still were, are. They're, they're, like, we're driving down the interstate right now, and people are looking at us thinking that this truck was attacked by a bear, and it was. So while we were in the back country, the truck was molested by a bear. <laughs> two bear cubs. Two, it was, yeah, it, we were told it was two bear cubs that uh, their mother had to be euthanized back during the summer. And so these little 50-pound bear cubs are just rummaging through this area, terrorizing people. Right? Yeah. So that's why we keep the wild places wild, because that's where the bears live and the elk. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 